Good morning, everyone. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn with me to John 14, 1 through 14. And if you don't, the scriptures will be displayed on the screen here. John 14, 1 through 14, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe also, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we submit our lives to you. We submit our hearts to you. Father, we welcome you into the space. Would you be glorified? Would you be honored? Would you be lifted up? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My prayer for us today is that may our reliance on Jesus surpass our reliance on ourselves, because Jesus is enough. I'm just going to say it again. May our reliance on Jesus surpass our reliance on ourselves, because Jesus is enough. I grew up in a Baptist church, and if you know anything about a Baptist church, is people clapping, tam- cl- I mean, <laughs> playing tambourines and running around the church shouting, and the preacher is yelling through the microphone, and it's a really exciting time, but that was kind of the church background I grew up in, and I remember at the end of the service, each Sunday, the pastor would open up the doors of the church, as they would call it, where he would invite anyone who was wanting to surrender their life to Jesus to come to the altar. And so I remember I was very cultured about church in that time. I very much knew about church culture and knew the lingo, the lingo and everything. So I just felt, though, one Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching. And for some reason, my heart just really felt like it was just really resonating with what the pastor was saying. And then at the end of the service, he said, if anyone would like to surrender their life to Jesus, please come forward. And I just remember hearing the voice of God say, come home, son. And so I just began to walk out of the aisle, and I began to walk out of the rows and started walking down the aisle. I could just, in the spirit, see me stepping on the skull of the enemy with, with each step that I took forward to the altar. And then when I got to the altar, I just remember the Lord saying, welcome home, son. There's a celebration in heaven for you. And as he said that, I just looked out at the crowd, and there was just so much celebration and so much shouting and so much excitement of just this celebration of me choosing to follow God. 
And from that moment on, I just began to have this increasing awareness that God's hand was on my life. I didn't know all of what that meant, but at the time, my faith, I understood my faith to be about getting into heaven, that Jesus paid the price for my sins so that I could get into heaven. At least that's the kind of faith I grew up with. And so much of my focus was, I got to get into heaven. I got to be with the Father, right? And never mind that Jesus walked among humanity. Never mind the bigger picture of God displaying his love through Jesus. But the focus of my faith was getting into heaven. And so I began to do all that I can to seek God. Go to church every day, go to Bible studies, read my Bible. You know, every time I did something wrong, I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me because he didn't forgive me thousands of years ago on a cross. So I need to keep being forgiven and just live this life understanding that, yes, Jesus paid the price for me to get into heaven. But I got to keep paying the price every day because I'm broken. And I was just missing the gospel of Jesus. But it was until high school that my parents were separating and divorcing and my mom started going to an Anabaptist church called Capital Christian Fellowship, and I just remember thinking that they were all sinners because I felt they were very liberal and that I was the righteous one, and Jesus began to break my heart, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I just remember just wrestling after high school what I wanted to do with my life, and a good pastor friend of mine sat me down over coffee, and he said, listen, Nate, at the time I was planning to go into the military, he said, listen, you can either go into the military and do what you want to do, or you can follow God's plan for your life. But you decide. I was like, well, no pulling punches on that. It's like, all right. But at that moment, that ignited something deep within my heart, this desire, this longing to follow God, but I didn't know what that meant. And this community of this Anabaptist community my mom started connecting with, there was a number of leaders there who started to connect with me, started to pour into my life and mentor into me and say, this following God is done through following Jesus. And all I knew of Jesus was he paid the price for my sins so I can get into heaven, right? He was like, I'm going to take it into heaven, but I had to keep paying the price. And they were like, no, no. It's through Jesus that we experience the righteousness of Christ. It's through the righteousness of Jesus being worked out in our lives that allows us to experience the righteousness of God working through us. And so I was just like, well, who's this Jesus? So I just began this journey a discipleship of seeking to follow Jesus. I realized that all of my going to Bible studies and all of my praying and all of my things that I could do to try to please God and earn my way to the Father was never enough to please God. But that Jesus was enough. And that they were saying the invitation is, is to follow Jesus with your life every day. That this decision I made in elementary school to follow God was something that Christ was saying. We want to live every day making that decision by choosing to live your life and surrender to Jesus. And that through this living my life and surrender to Jesus, I began to realize that I was never going to be enough. There was not enough that I can do. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the best we can give God is filthy rags. That it's never enough. The law was not enough. But Jesus was enough that when Colossians says it this way, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, God, has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm so that you not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and under which I, Paul, have become a servant. It was this realization that I was once an enemy to God. 
but that God, since the beginning of time, said he was going to make a way for us to be reconciled unto the Father because getting into the kingdom of heaven was not the goal. That the kingdom of heaven was about experiencing the heart of the Father and being reconciled unto the Father. That heaven without the presence of God is hell. But that with the presence of God, we experience the kingdom of God's heart, the kingdom of God's reign and rule in our hearts. And that through that, he establishes his kingdom in this world by first establishing it in our hearts. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace we are saved through faith, and this is not from ourselves, it's not from our Bible studies, it's not from doing what we can do to earn and please God, but it is the gift of God, not by work so that no man can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Jesus is the way to the Father, and that through professing faith in Jesus, we are reconciled unto the Father. This is not something we earn on the righteousness of our own. But it's through the grace of God demonstrated through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. And Thomas said, Lord, show us the way to the Father. And Jesus said, I've been with you all along. I am the way to the Father. There's no route. There's no blueprint for you to map out to try to get to the Father. I am the way through to the Father. I am the only way to the Father. I remember growing up hearing a lot of people say, well, we all believe in God. We just have different means. I'm like, no. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. I am the only way to the Father because I am the true expression of the Father, and I am enough. Jesus is the way to the Father, and he is enough. So as I begin to grow my understanding of following Jesus and allowing my faith to be more shaped of following Jesus and understanding Jesus is the true revelation of the Father. I just remember wrestling with a lot of questions about morality and what's right, what's wrong, you know, what's good, what's bad, what's truth, what's not truth, you know, and, and I remember I was in D.C. and there was these tents and these stats and there was these tents and like this party going on on the National Mall. And so I started walking over there just to see what's going on, you know, because every time you're in D.C., you see something going on in the National Mall. It's pretty natural to just go see what's going on over there. So I went over there just to see what was going on. And and I and I just saw like this huge statue. And on this statue, people were writing out in market like their burdens, like they were writing out different tragedies that maybe they've experienced, different sicknesses they're dealing with, and just like people just kind of writing out their burdens and things that they're carrying. And so I remember I was talking to a lady there and I said, just kind of asking her what was going on. And she said, well, I was like, what's up with this statue thing? What, like, what is, what is this? And she was saying, well, it's just a way that it was called catharsis. It was like this way that they believed they would experience healing. So they would write out everything that they're carrying and they're struggling with and the brokenness of this world. They would write it out on that statue, and at night, they would burn the statue. And so they, feel, they felt like it was a way that they received healing and a way that they, you know, experienced freedom from brokenness and things like that. And so I just began to press a little bit deeper, and then we got into this conversation about how broken the world is and how we're just the crime and just 
injustices and so many things and sickness and so many things that we're experiencing that God didn't intend. And I remember her and I getting to this conversation about, well, what is good? What does, what does the world look like when everything is good? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean for things to be right? And, and we just kind of had deferring opinions on this because for her it was like, well, kind of more subjective based on what you feel is right for you and what you feel is good for you and what you feel is truth for you. And I just remember growing up thinking about what is truth and especially in the Anabaptist community, just thinking about what is truth. And I just, re and I remember growing up in um, my former church, when I would hear the word truth, it was often talked about as doctrine. You know, the truth of Jesus is the doctrinal truth of Jesus. Like your obedience to the Bible is more important than your obedience to Jesus. And so if you did something wrong, it was like, what does the Bible say about this? Oh, it doesn't say that. You're sinning. You know, you need to go repent because this is the truth. This is the word. And... I came across a scripture in John 1 that said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then I remember coming across the scripture in John 14, and it said that Jesus said, I am the truth. That all along in the book of John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. Jesus told Thomas, he said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus constantly, over and over throughout the book of John, repeatedly says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I don't do things on my own authority, but I do what I see my Father in heaven doing. That Jesus is saying, I am here to bring you revelation of who the Father is. And it is through Jesus we come to know who the Father is. As we read this morning in Hebrews 1.3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I grew up with such a distorted image of who God was because I didn't know Jesus. I thought God was this legalistic guy who was just kind of waiting on me to screw up and waiting on me to, to call on Jesus before he decides to give his impending wrath on me and just have this really wonky understanding of who God was and wasn't sure of who his character was and his nature and just kind of felt he was very aloof and far off. But it says that the son is the exact imprint of his being. He is the radiance of God's glory. It is through Jesus we come to know who the Father is. It is through Jesus we come to know the heart and the character and the nature of who God is. And it is through Jesus we come to know the truth and the revelation of who the Father is. That from the beginning of time, God was trying to reveal himself throughout all of creation. And then it climaxes, the biblical narrative climaxes to Jesus as the full representation of who the Father in heaven is. That we serve a God who's not standing far off, but says he's so loves the world that he comes near to show himself in our lives in our brokenness in our sickness so that we can come to know the father through the person of Jesus and that was through Jesus my understanding of who the father is began to change it was through Jesus my world view began to change that my allegiance to Jesus is where I begin to give ultimate surrender and allegiance to. And it's my through allegiance to Jesus that define my values, that define my behavior, that define the culture. It's because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. 
It is the Father of God who created heaven and earth, revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I've been talking of the Father all along. I am the Father. I am he. And then finally, he says, Jesus is the truth. He is enough. So finally, as I was growing in this revelation of understanding who Jesus is, sometime, I've, sometime throughout high school, my parents were divorcing. And since that divorce, me and my dad's relationship just really began to go down the drain. I mean, we, I would just, yeah, just relationally, we were just not, not meeting, you know. And I just remember that was a significant part of where God just really began to work in my life. Um, I just became really bitter towards my dad. I felt not supported. I began to just come up grow with a lot of hatred towards my dad. And I remember at night I would have these dreams where I was just arguing with my dad and I would wake up reacting and I'm hitting something. And it was just this anger and this bitterness and this frustration I was building towards my dad. But even in that, just in my parents divorcing, just dealing with so much hurt and frustration and confusion and questions about just what is going on? What is God doing? And thankfully, during that time of my parents divorcing, I had a mentor who just began to mentor me. And the most consistent thing throughout him mentoring me was he always pointed me to Jesus. He relied, he relied more on pointing me to Jesus than any type of counsel he could give. And he just began to keep pointing me to Jesus and pointing me to Jesus and pointing me to Jesus. So I just began to say, okay, what does this mean? And there came a point where I just remember I was in church and my mom had remarried to um, now my stepfather. She had remarried and I remember I was in church and someone was referencing my mom's husband as my stepfather. And I, I just had like this emotional reaction in my heart where I was just like ready to pounce on him like, he's not my stepfather, I have a father, blah, 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 blah. And I just remember just stopping myself before I said anything because he was a very trusted friend of mine and <laughs> just said something's not right something's going on in my heart and that night I was went into my apartment and I just began to ask the Lord to speak to my heart and was just recalling that event and I just began weeping before I could even get a word out of prayer I just began weeping and sobbing and just lamenting all these things that I was carrying, just the hurt, the confusion, the bitterness, the anger, just began to just lay it before the feet of Jesus. I didn't pretend that it was all good afterwards. I just laid it before the feet of Jesus. And I just, just poured out my heart to the Father. And I remember the Lord saying, there's a hole in your heart. There's a fatherly void in your heart. And I am going to fill that void. I am going to fill that void. And yes, I've blessed you with earthly fathers to love and nurture you, and they're not perfect, but just know, even beneath that, I am your heavenly father. And I'm going to fill that void. And me laying everything down before the father created that space for the father to give his peace, to give me his hope to give me his love, to give me that affirmation that I am the son of the God most high. 
and that he loves me as a father. And he says, in the same way, I've called you to go love others and share my fatherly love. So instead of me walking in bitterness and rage and anger and, and disappointment in my parents, just begin to have the opportunity to walk in love and peace and experience healing and the freedom that Christ brings when I begin to lay those things down at the altar. And this didn't happen overnight. This was a daily thing. This was a constant thing of just laying these things that God was pressing in my heart down before Jesus and allowing him to speak hope and life in exchange for the burden that I was carrying. When my mom remarried, I remember at the wedding, the Lord just put this prayer on my heart for her of just spiritual protection over them and just really began to affirm in my heart that he is doing a new thing that the old is gone and the new has come. Because it is in Jesus we experience new life in the midst where life throws in brokenness and hurt and pain. Jesus is able to step into those places and bring new life. Yes, my mom's remarried. Me and my dad's relationship, no, it's not ideal, but God is faithful in bringing healing. Because I'm still able to at least call him and greet him and go see him on the holidays instead of saying, I forget it, I'm good. So, no, situations don't change, but Jesus is faithful and present in those situations in order to bring new life and healing in the midst of those things. He said it this way in Romans 8. says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Then my favorite part of that verse, it says, if the spirit of God, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit living in you. Paul says it to this way in the church in Corinth. He says, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Death is not the final say. That sickness doesn't have the final say, but that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. That at the name of Jesus, sickness will bow. At the name of Jesus, broken relationships will bow. And that the lordship of Jesus will be realized throughout the earth. That Jesus is Lord and that he brings life where there is brokenness. I'll close with this story. Jesus is the life and he is enough. Before I was hired here, I used to work security for the last four years. And one of those places I worked security was at a casino. And I worked overnight, and it was one morning. I was riding on a bus with a coworker of mine. We were being shuttled to the parking lot to get in our cars so we can go home. And as we were riding over, I just remember he was, my coworker was conversating with somebody, and my coworker said, God will forgive me. I mean, you know, he said, Jesus will forgive me, but God won't. So my ears perked up. I was like, huh? What is this theology he's working with here? But anyway, so 
I got into a conversation with him trying to prod into what does he mean by this? And we just get into this theological battle where I'm trying to explain the Trinity and he's just talking about how God won't forgive him, but Jesus will, you know, and just, and I'm like, they're one and the same. How do you not, you know, like, they, Jesus will, I mean, God will forgive you because he's revealed through Jesus and he sent his son Jesus so that you will be forgiven. Like, come on, you know, and we're just going back and forth. But one of the things that I, that I do is I argued him a bit theologically, you know, getting to this de- debate, but part of it was that was his defense mechanism because I just sensed there was something deeper in his heart. So I said, all right, let's go through the defenses. But then eventually I said, what do you mean by this? What's going on? And he began to just share and open up his heart. He was uh, in his 60s, and years ago he was involved in a war in Grenada. And he had been involved in a um, just direct combat, and he had killed a lot of people, women, children, and just so many other things. And he was just carrying the burden of this on his heart. And he was just like, I've done a lot of terrible things. And I just don't know what to do. And I just began to, to just share with him the gospel of Jesus. Just began to share with him how Paul was a murderer and Christ forgave him. And so we just began to have this conversation and he just began to, that just began to share more and more about God's love and forgiveness and mercy and grace that God is extending to him. He just began to cry a little bit. He started to weep a, bit, a, little, a little bit, and he started to walk away. He was like, I just, I'm too, bar- I'm too bad. I can't do this. He started to walk away. So I grabbed him and pulled him back over because I'm a very aggressive evangelist. But uh, <laughs> 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 it was spare late. It was spare late. But, uh, <laughs> but um, pulled him back over, and he just I, was just, I was just like, what's going on in your heart right now? What's going on in your heart? And he just began to share, share this story with me of, of how, how many years ago his daughter was looking to go to college and how he said, I love my daughter and I don't want her to have to experience what I experienced. I want her to live a good life and do far better than what I've done. And so she's going to college and I pay for her tuition. I pay for everything. And I just told her, just do your best and just, just explain to me how he demonstrated his love to his daughter by paying for everything for her so that she could just have a wonderful life. And I just said, in the same way, Christ paid everything for you so that you can live the life he intended you to live because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And him and I just began to talk and it just really started to hit his heart more. Where he, he started to understand the fact that Jesus paid for that brokenness so that he could be restored back into relationship with the Father. And that morning, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And... And I remember the next day, he comes to work that night, and he just comes in, uh, in the, um, we call it our briefing room. He just comes into the briefing room all with a pep in his step and just happy and smiling like, good evening, everybody. Mind you, we're coming in for an overnight shift, so we're not exactly the most happiest at that point. But, you know, he's just like, good evening, everybody, and just so happy and so excited. And he comes to me, he's like, Nate, I feel different. I feel different, and I looked at him, and I could tell he looked different, too. It was just this new life that was radiating from him that I knew only Jesus could do. And he was just so happy and just so excited, and he told me, he said, I haven't been to church in 30-something years, and this past Sunday, I went back to church. He was like, my wife was like, let me, like, I'm crazy. I said, it's all good. Tell her about Jesus. She'll be fine, you know? <laughs> but, like, he ain't gone to church 30 years, and God just began to transform his life. He just experienced new life in Christ in a way that he had never experienced before. 
So my prayer for us today is that we would experience Jesus as the way, as the truth, as the life. And I don't know where you identify with this, but the invitation is how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today as you reflect on Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life? What area in your life is the Holy Spirit saying, I need you to let me in a little bit more deeper. I need you to open up a little bit more and let my spirit speak into that. Let me bring truth and life and hope and healing and freedom into that. So maybe you identify with Jesus as the way, the way to the Father, that we rely on Jesus as the way to the Father and not of anything of our own doing. Maybe it says Jesus as the truth, the true revelation of the Father, that your understanding of God will continue to be shaped and nurtured through the revelation of Jesus as a true revelation of the Father. Maybe Jesus is life. Maybe you're experiencing some hopelessness. Maybe you're experiencing sickness. Maybe you're experiencing pain, mental illness, so many things that we carry. And maybe we're just needing a fresh revelation of the life of Jesus to minister into those places. I know for me, sometimes when I'm sick or not feeling good or carrying something that's just been long, chronic, it's easy to kind of fall into hopelessness. It's easy to kind of slip into despair and just say, ah, it's never, you know, yeah, I know Jesus is a healer, but, you know, it's not going to happen. And sometimes the healing might not be physical. It might be in your emotions in that moment. It might be in your heart in that moment. It might be in your faith in that moment where the sickness doesn't have the final say, but that the life and the hope of Jesus has the final say. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and the intercessors as well. And I would just invite you, as the Holy Spirit, what is he wanting to speak to your heart today? What is he wanting to do in your heart today? We have people who love to pray with you and stand with you in that. And I just, if you're here and you're dealing with a physical illness, I would just invite you to take a step of faith. Pray for a fresh encounter with Jesus with that. Allow his spirit to touch you, to touch that, to bring healing, to bring freedom, to bring hope, and to restore. Bless you.